Well, I like to label my message this morning, emotional instability. If I can label my message this morning with the title, emotional instability. Today in our passage, we're going to be looking at 1 Samuel 18 and 19. And there's a ton here in these two passages, okay? Um, A lot to really unpack that I don't have enough time to talk about everything. But what I want us to look at and what I'm going to highlight this morning is maybe looking at this from a different angle. Maybe looking at these two chapters from a a different perspective. Typically reading through Samuel and many people tend to see themselves as David. Um, See yourself as successful in some ways. Or maybe even looking at yourself through the lens of another biblical character. But not many of us want to see ourselves as Saul. And I actually want us to to see the Saul in us. The reality is that we all have a Saul in us that we don't want to recognize, that we want to sweep under the rug. Or even worse, we act like that part of us doesn't exist at all. This text shows us an emotionally unstable person who has many negative emotions, and he doesn't process it well. So he leads to act in, a terrible, in terrible ways because when our feelings go unchecked with the word of God, our emotions can drive us to do crazy things. I believe that's one aspect that this text is tailored to teach us this morning. When our feelings go unchecked with the word of God, then simply put, Our emotions can drive us to do some crazy, crazy things. If if these two passages, if these two chapters was a Netflix series, I think it just can be called crazy. As we jump into our text this morning, I want to start with talking about Saul's emotions. Saul's feelings. We see this in chapter 18, verses 6 to 16. Let me read this real quick. It says, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the woman came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the woman sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands And David, his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next, day for, uh, the next day, a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall, but David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. 
but had departed from Saul. So he removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all of Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. One thing about this text as I prepared for this week that I was struck by is this passage not only reveals the emotions, the feelings of Saul, but everyone else in the narrative except for David. It talks about the love Jonathan, Jonathan has for David, the love of all of Israel and Judah for David. Of course, it talks about Saul's emotions, his anger, his, his, his jealousy, and other negative feelings he had toward David. There was even, an, even a celebratory aspect from the women that was in this passage as this chapter opens up with singing, dancing, and playing instruments because of a victory by David. The narrator acknowledges everybody's emotions but not David's. I believe it's literary brilliance because it puts you on the edge of your seat in suspense and it gives you a valid question to ask. What is David feeling about this whole situation? It's not clear about what he feels, but very clear about the other characters in the story. Nevertheless, King Saul's emotions are on full display. Saul has struck down thousands and David his ten thousands. And when we read this, we see that Saul didn't like that. He didn't like that at all. He wanted the glory in some ways for himself. And he had a bit of a jealous streak in him to the point, to the point that the text says he eyed David from that day on. The idea of, 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 of eyeing somebody um, I think mothers do this well. Mothers do this well. This, this, this eye that they can give to uh, the, the, the child. And you know exactly what is being communicated by just the look, right? I think that's what Saul is doing here, but in a more negative, bad way, I should say. Because he's eyeing David because of his, of his emotions and his feelings that he has towards him. This text gives us about five different feelings, emotions, that Saul has. The first is anger. The text shows that Saul was not only angry, but very angry. There is an emphatic way that he feels towards David. Now, I want to say something about anger because there is a difference between having sinful anger and, let's say, righteous anger. Right? In the New Testament, Ephesians, it talks about there's a, some category, there's some way that you can be angry, yeah, but not sinned. And I think that there's, a, uh, there's some ways that that can happen. When we think about, as we cry out, uh, think about different things in, in the universe, and when we think about how justice needs to be, uh, uh, justice needs to happen, there's a righteous anger that I think can happen. But this is not the anger that Saul is displaying here. This is more a, a, of a sinful anger. So this is the first emotion that we see here with him. Not only that, but we see that he's... He's a bit jealous in the sense of 
he's showing envy, he's showing jealousy, he's showing malice of someone else's accomplishments. Uh, this is part of the part of Saul that maybe some of us don't want to identify with. But when we look through our life, when we look through our history, there may be some jealousy that we have had towards other people. Someone gets something really good that you think that you should have got. Maybe it's a job promotion. Maybe it's something else. And there's a bit of envy that we have because someone else is accomplishing something that we think that we should. This is what we see here in the text with Saul. He is jealous of, of, of David. Another emotion from King Saul is he's afraid. He is afraid. And why is, it, why is he afraid? Because Yahweh is with David. I would also add that he's a bit insecure, yeah? There's a bit of insecurity that is happening here with Saul. Insecure communicates the idea of feeling inadequate or, or not good enough or maybe just a lack of confidence because you're trying to measure up to someone else. Uh, you look at someone else and you see how great they are, how good they're doing, all these types of things, and you feel a little insecure because you're like, ah, I can't do that. What's interesting with Saul is, remember, a couple chapters before, the Spirit of God was on Saul, but the Spirit of God was removed, right? And with the Spirit of God being removed, that Spirit went upon David. So in some ways, when you think about it, Saul's angry, he's jealous, he's afraid, he's insecure, but maybe he's all of these things and maybe even more so because what David has, he had. And now he doesn't have that. Another emotion that we see here is he's fearful. He is fearful. All of these different emotions drives Saul to attempt to do something terrible. Because our emotions can drive us to do some crazy, crazy things. What is the thing that drives, what's the, what, what happens, uh, the, what is the terrible thing that Saul attempts to do? Well, we see in verse 10, he attempts to murder David. As David's popularity continues to grow, Saul is afraid, he's envious and fearful of him for at least two reasons. One, because I think Saul believes that David is a threat to the kingdom. He thinks that his spot is, has an expiration date, and he's a bit fearful and threatened that this guy is going to take over his throne. He says, what more can he have but the kingdom? But the second thing I think this text shows is that three times it says the Lord is with David. And I think when we unpack this more, I think Saul is not merely afraid of David. I actually think he's really afraid of Yahweh. Because Yahweh is with David, and the text says that he is uh, uh, afraid. Saul's fear and David's success has this interesting connection. As David becomes more successful, Saul becomes more and more 
fearful to the point that he's trying to get David out of here. One commentator says this, Saul's spear appears to be a sign of his kingship, a a sign of his authority, somewhat like a scepter. So Saul stood with the spear in hand with his troops in much the same way as an Egyptian monarch is typically depicted. So when you have this idea of of, of a spear in hand, it communicates the idea of his authority, of his sovereignty, of his rulership. What's also interesting in the ancient Near East is spears used, they were used primarily for, for thrusting at somebody. But it's interesting because Saul takes the spear and actually throws it and wants to pin David to the wall, almost like throwing a javelin. Having a spear in hand and trying to murder someone may not translate well for us today, right? I'm not sure if any of you own any spears in your home, and maybe you have uh, thoughts about trying to murder somebody with a spear. doesn't really translate well for us, but... For those that know the Bible well, I think this story is, communicates something of a previous story in the Bible. And I think when we think about Cain and Abel, when we think about Genesis 4 and how two brothers, in this case, um, Adam and Eve's sons, Cain delivered an offering as well as Abel delivered an offering. And Interestingly enough, Abel offering, Abel's offering was not accepted by God. Cain's offering was not accepted by God, but Abel's was, right? And Cain became outraged. He became angry. He became jealous. There was hatred in his heart, malice in his heart, to the point that he murdered his own brother. I'm always reminded when I read Genesis 4 and it says, Abel's blood cried out from the ground. This is what happens when our emotions go unchecked. Uh, Jealousy, hate, envy can turn into murder. All throughout the Bible we we see this, but Cain and Abel's story is is one. Uh, Another one that I was thinking about too, this happened in 2016. I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with this story. This happened between two sisters. Two sisters, sistery rivalry. There were two sisters. One was younger, one was older. And was interestingly, the youngest was a model. And sadly, the other one was taken into police custody because she murdered her younger sister. Uh, As I was reading this story, um, I'll save you all the graphic details about how all this took place and how this happened. But the older sister was sentenced to 13 years in prison as she was convicted for this heinous crime. And the motive, you may ask, why did she do this? Well, the report shows that she was jealous of the looks of her younger sister sister. Again, jealousy, envy, hatred, malice. I think we can say our emotions can drive us to do some crazy, crazy things. If hate, jealousy, and other emotions that Saul goes unchecked, and let me say this, we do have the same 
emotions that Saul has because there is a Saul in us. If they go unchecked, then don't be surprised if it leads to destruction. The reality is, as I said before, we tend to look at everything through the lens of of David or someone else, but we need to take a step back and maybe say there is a Saul within us. In fact, the same characteristics and emotions that Saul possessed actually shows up within our own hearts from time to time. And the good news about it is, as we confess and as we admit that they are there, Christ took all of our negative emotions and they were nailed to the cross. Jesus suffered and died for our negative emotions that we have. So when we think about the cross, when we think about the blood of Jesus, when we think about his death, his burial, and resurrection, if you are here and you have those types of emotions, you can look at the cross of Christ and know that they have been forgiven if you confess and you believe and trust in the resurrected Jesus. You don't have to walk around harboring these negative emotions. You can confess and believe in Jesus. Amen? But the story continues on with more crazy stuff. Saul encourages his enemy to marry his daughter. I guess with this one, it depends on how you look at it. Some would say, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. And according to 1 Samuel 18, verse 29, Saul was David's enemy continually. He decides to give one of his daughters to his enemy. Not sure if I would do this, but Saul did. And even waived the bride price for this to happen. For those that may not be familiar with the language of the bride price, basically it was a a sum of money paid by the fiancé to the girl's parents. And typically it provided for the wife ahead of time in case the husband died or something like that. Essentially, Saul wanted and desired for David to die. This is what he says. Saul thought, let me give her to him that she may be a snare for him and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. So in some ways, Saul's like, you know what? Don't even worry about the bride price. What I want is for you to go into battle. And as you go into battle, in his mind, he's thinking, oh, he's going to get killed by the Philistines, so he's going to be done away with. But what's interesting, what happens is Saul actually defeats the Philistines. And there's this interesting language about how Saul wanted the foreskins of the Philistines. Not sure if I would do that as well if I was Saul. But David did that. And as you read, the text says David was successful. So he's putting him out to die, and David actually conquers. And this enrages Saul even more to the point, he says, that he's even afraid. He's angry. He's jealous. These emotions from Saul continue to go unchecked, and they continue to keep rising up. In an ironic twist, everything that Saul was trying to stop and to bring to ruin (laughs) worked out in David's favor. And I think that that language of how the Lord was with David continues to show up more and more and more. 
But as the story continues, more crazy stuff happens. This time we see Saul encourages Jonathan and his servants that they should murder David. I don't think this guy Saul is really kind of getting it yet, right? He has this trap here, trap here, trap here, and again, he's trying to get David. Verse 19, verse 1 says, And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants, that they should kill David. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. When the text says the Lord was with David in the previous passages, I believe it. And the reason why is because you know when God is on your side, when your enemy's son is giving you a heads up on what's going on, right? You know God is on your side when your enemy's son is actually giving you the play-by-play and actually talking on your behalf and talking sense into his father. He almost has to talk Saul off the ledge. He's talking some sense into him. Says this, Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king sin against the servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. He almost has to counsel his own father of like, don't you realize like David has done great things with the help of the Lord? He says that you rejoiced in it. You saw it. Why would you want to kill him? Makes no sense. And here's, what, here's how Saul's emotionally unstable, if you haven't noticed yet. Saul's like, you know what? You're right. As the Lord lives, I'm not going to put him to death. You're right, son. But then, I think Saul had a change of mind here. Maybe a change of heart. Because <laughs> we see in verse 8, and there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a the great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul and he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing the lyre and Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he eluded Saul so that he struck the spear into the wall and David fled and escaped. This is a emotionally unstable leader. He's not only uh, trying to kill David, but now he's, he's lying. He's saying he's not going to do something, but then he ends up doing it, or at least trying to do it. Saul lies and goes back on his word, and he's not truthful. The story continues with more and more craziness. But what's pretty obvious is the mental, the spiritual, and emotional state of Saul, and it's just not in a good place. It is not in a good place. And in some ways, you may not necessarily do the same exact things or the same actions as Saul, but I'll go to venture that some of you here are also probably not in a good place. Mentally, spiritually, emotionally, 
Perhaps you see this story and you see Saul in you and say, yeah, maybe I'm a little bit emotionally unstable. Maybe. Our emotions can drive us to do some crazy things. So as I come to a close, one practical thing I believe that we can do is simply this, is to be aware and process through our emotions. I believe that we need to be aware and process through our emotions. Some of you probably grew up in church to some degree where, you know, talking about emotions is not necessarily the right thing to do or the best thing to do, right? We could be too emotional. But I want to say that our emotions in some ways, large ways, are a part of of who we are. So in some ways, we have to actually process through emotions. And I think the problem is some of us may not know how to do that well. And when our emotions are not checked with the word of God, it can easily drive us to do things that we would have thought we would never have done. Right? So one thing that you can do is that we can do is simply just question yourself. If you feel a level of anger, if you feel a level of jealousy, if you feel a level of insecurity, a good question to ask is, why do I feel that way? I know you probably heard, don't talk to yourself, but it's okay to talk to yourself sometimes. Why do you feel that way when this happens? That is a good question to ask yourself as you are trying to process and be aware of your emotions. And don't just stop the questioning with yourself. I would also say bring others in. Uh, Bring trusted people in, let me say that. Because not everybody (laughs) should be brought into everything. But I think that there's a level of bring community in, trusted community in, not the community that's going to gossip and tell your business to everybody. Not those people. And by the way, not everything needs to be blasted on social media either. But bring trusted friends, trusted family into your lives, trusted pastors into your lives, so that you can also process these emotions with, with them. Perhaps they can be like Jonathan to you and give you some counsel, help you from jumping off the ledge. Maybe rearing you back and bringing you back and reminding you of the things of God so that you don't do the crazy things that sometimes your emotions will drive you to do. So, yes, question yourself. Question why do you feel that way? Bring trusted people in to those situations and process it with them. And then lastly, I would say, man, don't forget the word of God. Your emotions have to be checked with God's word because as a Roosevelt, we are biblically rooted. So the Bible gives us direction. It anchors us. It guides us. It directs us in the things that we should do and the things that we should think and how we should live. I think many times when people become emotionally unstable in some ways, they tend to forget what God has to say. But I would say God's voice needs to be the loudest in these times and in these situations.
And of course, it starts by confessing these emotions, not suppressing them, not acting like they don't exist, but actually confessing them out and being aware and being in processing them, right? So I think this is a good time that um, I'm going to end in prayer, and then we're going to have a time of response, and this will be a good time for us to respond with these things. Amen? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for all the people that would fit the category, Lord, of uh, being emotionally unstable in so many ways. We ask, Lord, that you would give us direction, give us guidance as we process our emotions, as we are aware of them, as we pray, and not suppress them, not tuck them away, but have them open so you can shine your light on them and so that we can heal from the brokenness, from the heartache, from the pain in our lives. We thank you, Lord. We love you, and we pray all of this in Jesus' mighty, mighty name. Amen.